You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we'll be today. Happy Father's Day, everybody. I, uh, I want you to know, if you're a dad in this room, I am grateful for you. And uh, I'm honored to serve in a church where there are many dads that I can look at and model my own fatherhood after. And so I'm thankful for you today. If you're a dad in the room, there are new city journals on that back table. Take a journal this morning. We'd love to uh, bless you with that. Um, And if you're in the room and Father's Day is somewhat of a painful day for you, like maybe you didn't have a good daddy, maybe um, you struggle in some way with your relationship with the father in your life, I want you to know where there is lack In the Father department in your life, the grace of King Jesus abounds. He is present with you today. I want to go ahead and read the text, how we roll around here. We're Bible people, so we like to stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Come on, somebody. That's it. Yeah. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 is where we're going to pick up. It says this. So I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word. You can have a seat this morning. Uh, Well, something that I have seen often as a pastor is that when a family goes through trauma, there's a fork in the road. When a traumatic moment happens, here's where a family can go. In, In one direction, they move, and they become the closest family in the universe, You've seen this, right? A bad moment happens, a, so, uh, somebody is lost, like a loved one dies, something, and the family bands together and they become tighter than ever, ever. But the other fork in the road is when crisis happens and things explode, right? You see this tragically often happen when a husband and wife go through the terror of losing a child that those couples, the percentage of divorce in those couples goes exponentially up. It is a fork in the road moment when a family experiences trauma. There is almost never a medium response to suffering in families. It goes, I've seen it over and over, it goes one way or the other. The families that end up close are the families that are structured for suffering. That have the bones, that have the skeleton to bear under the weight of the difficulty. 
They know how to keep the rails. They know how to keep the thing on the rails in the middle of crisis. See, here's the thing about suffering. Suffering reveals your structure, doesn't it? If you're anything like me, if you start to suffer in a moment, there are moments where you just abandon every rhythm and discipline and pattern of your life, and it just feels like you are flailing your arms trying to get your head above water. Structure exists for moments like that so that you have a plan, you have a pattern, you have a direction. Structure not only, or suffering not only reveals structure, but then structure is what helps us weather. You see, the church is like a family. Actually, the church is not like a family. The church actually is a family, is more appropriate to say. God gave his church a structure to help us thrive in suffering. To help us thrive in suffering. That's what Peter is actually unpacking for us today. You see, God's idea was that pastors would lead like him and that church members would love like him. That's God's idea. That's his design. Now, now pastors love and church members lead, but generally in this passage, what we're seeing is that pastors would lead like Jesus and that church members would love like him. And I need you to hear this because this is gonna be critical for us if we're gonna be a healthy church on mission in this city. A church that says yes to the structure that God gives us is a church where God is intimately present, where he's near, where he is close. That's the kind of church you want to be part of. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. I don't know about you. A church where the love of God becomes visible between each of us, where the presence of God energizes our fellowship together and our mission to reach those who don't yet know Jesus. A church built like this is where exiles, people who are outsiders in this world, like you, Christian, you finally get to remember that you are not alone. Maybe there's something going on in your world right now and you desperately need to hear that this morning. You, by the gift of the church, are not alone. You don't have to be. You don't have to be this morning. And if you're in the room or you're watching online and maybe you're kind of peeking over the fence of Christianity, can I just tell you, if you want to evaluate this thing for what it actually is, it can't be anything less than what our passage is teaching today. That is what real Christianity looks like. Together. You can't just evaluate the arguments of Christianity to understand it. You've got to see Christianity lived to understand it. And so here's how the church is structured for suffering. That's what this passage is going to unpack. If you're a note taker, yeah, we're walking through what does it look like to be structured for suffering? We're going to see the pastor's responsibilities, the pastor's responsibilities, and then we're going to see church members' responsibilities. Real simple today. Not easy, but real simple. Okay? Y'all ready? Let's go. Point number one. I pastor's responsibilities. When I was 17 years old, was the first 
deeply close encounter that I had with a pastor in my life. Um, I started attending youth group at this church in Marion, Illinois, and the youth pastor there, his name is Tim Bueller. Um, he very quickly saw me and invited me to ice cream, which for a teenage boy is like, I don't know, I don't have like a lot of one-on-one -on -one ice creams with other dudes, but I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna go for it, okay? So I go and I'm like, if you're buying, whatever, we'll do this. And so for the following two and a half years, Tim Bueller met with me every single Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. to talk about life, to talk about faith, and to talk about what it meant to follow Jesus in every area of life. And then if that wasn't enough Nick Vulcaning time, and if some of you are like, I get like an hour of Nick time, and then I'm like, I'm good for the week, okay? I'm good, I'm ready, uh, I'll see you next week, man. Uh, but Tim, we would meet at three o'clock, we would go to the church, get ready for the youth group gathering that was gonna happen that night. Youth group would happen at six o'clock, it would last till 7.30, and then Tim would drive me and another, a group of other young people to Applebee's in Marion, Illinois, where we would sit, can I get an amen for some half-price appetizers? Can I get a glory? Okay, yeah. So we would sit down for our half-price appetizers, and I watched Tim Bueller lead waiter after waiter after waiter to saving faith in Jesus at that Applebee's. Man, I was, I'm getting emotional even thinking about this. I, I walked through Marion the other day and I looked at that Applebee's and I was like, I learned how to follow Jesus at Applebee's. Just normal stuff, you guys. But Tim pastored me, took responsibility for me. A few years forward, I uh, had moved to be part of planting a church, and um, Raiden Hollis, who's the lead pastor there at, uh, at our sending church, actually, Red Hill in Edwardsville, Illinois. Raiden would bring me along to things that I would constantly ask the question, are you sure it's okay for me to be here? I remember distinctly one night, there was, a, uh, there was a couple in our church that was going through some real difficulties in their marriage and in their parenting, and it's 9 p.m., and Raiden calls me and he says, hey man, I'm going to counsel this couple, I'll be by to pick you up in five minutes. <laughs> it's like, oh boy, okay, here we go. And so I get in the car, and he's like, okay, here's what I want you to watch for. As I'm, as I'm talking them through this, and we arrive there, and man, I, I go in, I sit down in this living room, everybody's yelling, Raiden's calm, cool, and collected, and Nick's just chilling in the corner, right? I'm like, could you guys give me some food or something? Like, I'm just observing what's happening right here. Man, I was so uncomfortable watching him lead in those moments, but man, we would leave, and the debrief that happened out of those moments taught me how to be your pastor, New City. Raiden took responsibility for me. I want you to hear this this morning. A pastor who is following Jesus takes the responsibility of making disciples and says, I'm standing at the front of the line. I'm not saying nobody else is making disciples. Actually, the hope is that we're all making disciples together. But I'm not waiting for somebody else to call on me to be about making disciples. A godly pastor takes responsibility. Look back at verse 1. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ 
as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Okay, he's about to command us to do something, but before we get there, we have to recognize Peter is talking to pastors right here. That word right there, I exhort the elders among you. Elder is often used synonymously with pastor in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 tell us that the office of elder or the title of elder, pastor, is the only leadership role in the church that belongs exclusively to qualified men. Remember back when first, uh, in 1 Peter where Peter talks about marriage, he says, hey, hey, women do not submit generally to men. That's not the idea in the world. But wives do submit to husbands. There's a unique leadership in the home that the man is called to take. Similarly, in the church, people submit to the unique leadership of qualified men that we name and call elders. That's who Peter is talking to right here. Why in the world should you care? You're like, man, is this just a sermon to you, Nick? I think you're the only pastor in the room right now. Here's why you should care. I want you to hear me. Some of you are future pastors in this room. Others of you have been wounded by pastors. You've seen it go bad, and I'm sorry. Some of you have expected too much of your pastors. Others of us have expected far too little. We all have an expectation of who a pastor is and what a pastor does. See, oftentimes, especially when I'm on campus or I'm out in our city and I'm talking to people and they're like, um, hey, so what are you doing? I'm like, I'm a pastor. They're like, what? are you allowed to be out without your collar? Like, is that cool? <laughs> Should I call somebody? Is that, uh, or like, how are you married? Like, how did you land that? Um, I'm, like, I'm asking the same question, but for different reasons. How did I land Aaron? <laughs> Just for different reasons. And then others of us think of like, man, is a, is a pastor just this guy who's like out of touch with my life? Like he just does not understand what it's like to actually be out in the world. Peter clarifies the job description of who a pastor is and what a pastor does to reset our expectations. Can everybody say reset this morning? I never make you guys talk in church. You did a great job for your first try, okay? We need our expectations reset by the Bible. Look back at verse one there. He is saying, and I'm paraphrasing, man, I'm not coming in as an apostle. Like, I'm not coming in as a big deal right here. I'm a pastor too. Peter has a shepherd's heart, man. He is a pastor. He's like, I get it. I get the struggles. He even says, a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Looking back at the last section we just talked through, he's saying like, man, I have suffered the way you have suffered, pastors. I get it. I understand. He's speaking as a brother. But when he identifies himself with Jesus... He's doing something really important that's telling us about a pastor's responsibility. Peter is looking at you and he's looking at me and he's saying, I am not even mainly a pastor. I am mainly a Christian. 
I have seen Christ. I suffer with Christ. I will be raised with Christ. That is primarily who I am. New City, who is a pastor? Don't miss this. A pastor is first and foremost a Christian. They are men who have seen Jesus and they are part of the church family before they are anything else. The text says, to the elders among you. That's really significant, the elders among you. You know what among isn't? It isn't isolated. It isn't another class of person that exists on the edges or on the outside of a church family. It says, no, the elders are in the mix. You as a pastor are a sheep before you are a shepherd. Aaron and I, as we dreamed of planting this church, we really said, we want to plant a church that we would want to be part of even if I wasn't the lead pastor. Like we would want to be in on this. And I'm telling you honestly, I would go to church here, guys. You guys are my family. An elder is first and foremost a Christian. But then in verse two, he's gonna get down to the responsibilities. So a pastor is a Christian. Here's what a pastor does. Look back at verse two. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Okay, so Peter is giving us the picture of a shepherd (coughs) to help us understand what a pastor does. I want you to think about that literal shepherd. You have a picture of a shepherd in your mind right now? How does a shepherd exercise oversight? Well, first, a good shepherd feeds his sheep, right? He makes sure they have what they need. A good shepherd leads his sheep to different pastures, depending on the season, right? There's food here. I'm going to lead us toward this direction. And a good shepherd protects his flocks, his flock from wolves, from danger, I can't help but think of Jesus in John 10 where he says, I am the good, what? The good shepherd. The good shepherd. In that same passage, he gives this beautiful illustration. He says, I am the door. Have you ever thought about what that means? Like, Jesus, you're a door? What? In ancient culture, a shepherd would go out in a field and he would gather stones in a large circle and he would, he would gather the stones and stack up a wall until there was just about four to five feet left of open space where the sheep could walk into the pen. And at night, the sheep would come in and the shepherd would lay down his body in that gap and call himself the door. So you know what Jesus is saying in that moment, right? When he says, I am the door, he is looking at his sheep and he is saying to the watching world, over my dead body, will you come and steal one of my sheep? That's what a good shepherd does. He protects the sheep. This teaches us what a good pastor is responsible for. You see, a good pastor opens the Bible for and with people. A good pastor bleeds Bible. That's what, I, that's what I want. Like you cut me, I just bleed Bible. I hope. Number two, a good pastor leads people to become more like Jesus in the seasons of their lives by word and example. 
That doesn't necessarily mean every pastor is up on stage, like doing this part of the deal all the time, but it means that every pastor is showing people what it looks like to follow Jesus in the seasons of their lives. A good pastor does spiritual warfare for people in prayer. That's been the weirdest adjustment of my life in being a pastor, is that like, part of the reason that you guys give so that I can be a full-time pastor here is so that I can pray for you. Like, so if you, if you see Nick and you're like, man, that guy walks around a lot during the week. Does he just like, does he just work on Sundays? Listen, if I'm walking around, I am praying for your name. I am praying against the attacks of the enemy and the devil. That is what hopefully a faithful pastor does. I have a lot of room to grow, but that's what the scripture says a faithful pastor does. And number four, a good pastor protects people from spiritual harm by standing in the gap for them. Here's what it looks like to stand in the gap. You can stand in the gap for other people. You don't have to be a pastor to do that, but here's what it looks like. They speak gently but directly wherever people are believing half-truths or whole lies. You need a friend in your life who's willing to tell you the truth. That's what a pastor is meant to be. Somebody who will tell you the truth, but will do it in such a way that they're not bashing you over the head. They're leading you, remember? What's the hardest of those things? For me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, uh, public confession is good for the soul, so I'm going to go there this morning. For me, the hardest part is standing in the gap. And here's why. Because it's the most painful. Because it costs the most relational rent with people. When you tell somebody the truth gently, not a, people don't always like that <laughs> at the beginning, right? And I want to tell you, neither do I. And so man, as a people, if we're going to even embody that spirit, whether you're a pastor or not, Standing in the gap costs something. According to Peter, these responsibilities have an attitude. Did you catch that? Look back at verse two. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Here's something, not under compulsion, but willingly, here's something every faithful pastor should say. I don't have to be a pastor. I get to be a pastor. I get to do this. It's a privilege. I am not huffing and puffing my way into every conversation. What else does the Bible say? Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Here's what what Peter's actually getting at right here. That shameful gain he's talking about, it could be financial, it could be, um, but I think mainly what he's talking about right here is honor. He's like, you're not doing this. A faithful pastor is not doing this to stand in front of the room and have people fawn over how incredible he is. But eagerly, he has an eye to Jesus. He's saying, man, I'm serving him. I am going after him. That's something a faithful pastor should say. I am not here for prestige. I am here for people. And then what's the last piece that he says? Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
You know what domineering leadership does? It stands behind the flock and pushes them. Domineering leadership is a bully. But the biblical pattern, being examples to the flock, the faithful pastor stands in front of the flock and says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what a faithful pastor does. That's the attitude of a faithful pastor. And then finally, in verse four, there is a why behind the actions and the attitudes of a pastor. There's a driving motivation that exists right here. Let's read verse four. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. If you're a future pastor in this room, I want you to hear Jesus will give an honor to his faithful pastors that no one else could give. That's what keeps you in the trenches of ministry on hard days. It's not the paycheck, it's not the, the fill in the, it's not the prestige, it's not any of those things. It is knowing that Jesus has called you and that Jesus will sustain you and that Jesus will pay everything back a hundredfold that you sacrifice for him in this moment. This is meant to propel pastors into the difficulty of the calling. What does this mean for our church family? I, wanna, I want us to ask a couple of really important questions. First, I want to say this before we get to the questions. Thank you. Oh my gosh. It is, thank you for letting me be a human being before I'm a pastor. That I don't just have to be Bible answer man for you guys, but I get to be your friend. Like, I'm so grateful for that. And part of the difficulty as we grow on mission, as we'll raise up other pastors in the future of New City, is that you and I, I'm speaking to really everybody in the room, are not always going to have the same level of closeness in our relationship. That is not a bad thing, okay? As much as, if you, if you know me at all, you know I want to be your best friend forever and hang out with you all the time, because that's just how I roll. But that's not reality, Okay, that's not a bad thing that we don't all have the same relationship. See, we want to be a really wide church. That's why we have village leaders. That's why we have team leaders, so that you have other people who are caring for you and investing in you. But let's ask some questions right here. Number one, would I want my pastor's Christianity? This is a, a very telling question. And can I just tell you, whether you're part of this church or you're part of another church, you're not looking for a perfect man, but you're looking for a humble man and a repentant man. A man who you look at his family and go like, man, if that was my family, I would, I would be happy. I would love that. If you can't answer yes to that question for a long stretch of time, can I tell you, it might be time for you to find another church. You need to find a leader that you, it's why Paul looks and he says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? He's being an example to the flock. Would you want your pastor's Christianity? 
And this pastoral call should be a model, it should be something that each of us are aspiring to in our character, in the way that we interact with people. So here's some, some questions for us to ask that pastors can ask, but that you can ask. Are people flourishing because of me or in spite of me? This is the question that hit me this morning. It's Father's Day, right? I'm asking, in my family, is my family flourishing in spite of me or because of me? Am I dead weight or am I actually contributing here? Am I blessing? Am I helping? What is my attitude in serving others? Are you serving others under compulsion? Of like, man, stinking, I gotta... I gotta drive across town and help this person. Is that your attitude or are you going like, I get to serve, you kidding me? Jesus has anointed my life with purpose? What? Let's go, I'll buy the gas, don't even worry about it. Is that your attitude? And then the last question here, this is a significant one. Am I propelled by the promises of Jesus? That's what's meant to compel faithful pastors, right? And I want you to hear me. That's what's meant to compel you. Like when you're suffering, when you are struggling, I'm telling you, temporary pleasure will only keep you in the game so far. But if you're looking at eternity and you know that Jesus is going to restore confirm and establish as what the rest of chapter five will go on to say next week. You know that that's coming, guess what that does? That puts some steel in your spine and courage in your blood. Is that what's compelling you forward? Friends, these are the responsibilities of a pastor. The thing, uh, who is a pastor, the attitudes of the pastor, the responsibilities, all of those things. But the other aspect of this text that we're gonna see in our last verse is a church member's responsibilities. Church member's responsibilities. Let's look back at verse five. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter's talking to church members right here. He's talking to people who are part of the flock. At a church that I was previously part of years ago, there was, we'd have member meetings, which is just sounds so fun, right? New City, we call ours family gathering. So that sounds way more fun to be a part of than members meeting, right? Boo, members meeting. But man, we go to the members meeting and there was this one guy who loved to ask questions, not to understand but to prove a point. You know that guy, right? Who's like, yeah, I was just wondering why all of the things that we're doing are stupid. (laughs) That's not a real question, can we agree? (laughs) That question is trying to say something. Like, let me take that question mark off from you and let's try again. Just tell me what you're thinking, man. Don't be that guy, okay? Don't be that guy. That is not the responsibility of a church member. But the text tells us exactly what is. See, elders are typically speaking older people. They're typically speaking older people. So younger, right here, when it says, those of you who are younger, it's sort of a blanket term for everyone who isn't an elder. That's who he's talking to. That's why we're saying 
church members is what we're talking about right here. So here's the question. If you are not a pastor, what does it look like for you to thrive as part of the church, to be part of this family on mission? Number one, verse five tells us, be subject to the elders. This is the same language that he used when he talked about wives and husbands, when he talked about um, people being subject to the government. That doesn't mean be blind, it doesn't mean check your brain, it doesn't mean excuse sin, it doesn't mean um, that your pastors are untouchable. But being subject to the elders does look like being eager to follow the direction that the elders are charting. Like, man, I want to follow you. Like, I, and when I don't, I want to want to. Like, I want you to be making the right calls. I want to be able to get behind you. You're essentially looking for a reason to follow. Looking for the reasons to encourage, to be behind. And this inevitably means that you aren't hoping for a reason not to follow. That's what question asking guy was doing in the members meeting. He was looking for a reason not to follow, to set himself at odds with the elders. Like y'all, nobody has the spiritual gift of criticism. You know that? If you're like, man, my, my gift is just to be a very critical an obnoxious person. If that's you, will you go to another church, please? No, I'm, I'm kidding, okay? I'm kidding. That's not a spiritual gift. This doesn't mean you can't have a problem with anything. It doesn't mean the pastors can't be touched. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But this is about the general posture of your heart. Do you want to follow the lead of the pastors? Do you want to want to? That's what it looks like to be subject. And you need to hear me this morning. If you are in a church where you cannot cheerfully celebrate the direction of that church, it might mean that it's time for you to find pastors that you can be gladly subject to. Subject to. Like you don't have to be unhappy here. I'm not, I'm not calling out a specific situation. I want you to know that. I'm just reading the mail, okay? Don't shoot the messenger. Being subject to imperfect people is difficult, is it not? But being subject to a perfect God is even difficult because we're a mess. Like God's rules are good and perfect and right and he's never wrong in the call that he makes. And even following him is difficult because we are sinners. But get this, being subject is a gift from the heart of God to you and to me. It is a command that's meant to humble us. Being subject rejects the lie that you don't need anyone else. Our culture loves autonomy and Jesus says, it's kind of overrated. You were meant for community, to be together. And that's part of what being subject is all about. You need others and they need you. 
me and in the future as more pastors are raised up, the pastors need you and you need the pastors. We need each other. Look back at the second half of verse five. I want us to read it one more time before we dig in right here. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves with humility. Each one of you, that's pastors, that's church members, that's everybody. Clothe yourselves in humility. That word clothe, it's, it's the Greek word that refers to um, the garment that a servant would put on before they went to their trade or their vocation. He's saying prepare to work in humility. See, humility That spirit is what prepares us as church members to submit to leadership. But don't think the leaders get off early here. What did the text also tell us? God opposes the proud. If you have proud leaders, guess what? God opposes them. If you are proud, God is in opposition to your agenda. Humility, I believe, is part, is a central part of what makes a leader worth following. And it's going to make your life so much better to humble yourself before God. See, I would much rather be, in fr- be friends with humble people than impressive people. Like, goodness, impressive only gets you so far. And it's really... It's nothing compared to getting to actually do life with a person, a real person. A couple of questions for us to ask here, and we're almost done. Number one, do I have a critical spirit? Is the the regular disposition of your heart to set yourself against others? There's a difference between being thoughtful and careful and having a critical spirit. See, a critical spirit loves drama and they love being an opposing voice. But a thoughtful person asks questions to understand and with a genuine heart to help the church and to unify the church. That's good. Critical spirit is not good. If you have a critical spirit, Jesus will call you to turn this morning to repent. Number two, do I see submission as a gift? There is not a person in this universe who is not called to submission in some way. I submit to the lordship of Jesus. I willingly submit to the leadership of other men in my life. All of us are called to submission and so often we are trained by our culture to believe that submission is the enemy. Friends, submission is good. We just need the right king. And number three, am I clothed in humility? Well, what's the opposite? To be clothed in pride. To be clothed in pride says, I'm really the only one who understands this situation. I'm really the only one who really understands where the church should go and what's going on. You don't really understand that. I'm the only one in my life who knows which direction I should go. Being clothed in humility is the exact opposite that says, I 
I don't think I can actually discern the right answers on my own. Community is the normal way that I live my life. I don't know as much as I think I do. That's what being clothed in humility looks like. Who other than your Lord was more clothed in humility? Goodness, Jesus had every right to stand up and assert himself, but he did the exact opposite. See, this morning, your good shepherd, Jesus, came after you. In every place that you failed, in every instance of pride, Isaiah 53 says that all of us like sheep have gone astray and have turned to our own ways. But guess what the good shepherd does? He goes after the sheep. See, guess who the lead pastor of our church actually is, New City? It is King Jesus. He is the one worth following. He is the one who tells us to submit ourselves to fallen and broken people, and we can do that with reverence. Guess why? Because he is trustworthy. You can trust him this morning. What if we did this, New City? What if we looked at this text and we said, I'm in? You know what would happen? the hurting and the broken in our city would walk in these doors and they would sense a lightness and a realness of Christianity. They would actually see it for what it is, not just words on a page, it is life. That's the kind of church we wanna be. Let's do it. That's the end of my sermon, let's pray. Jesus, you are the good shepherd. This morning, the word pastor, the word church member, all these things, man, I know that they're hitting all of us in different ways and all of us are thinking about different past experiences that have wounded us or hurt us or make us gun shy when talking about these things. But I am praying right now that by your spirit, you will draw us in. That you will make us a people who are happy to embrace your structure so that we can be a church who suffers well. And we want to suffer well because there are people in this city who are suffering that have no idea there's any help or there's any hope or there could be any purpose in their suffering. We count it a privilege to serve behind enemy lines, Jesus. But we can't do it without your presence, without your power in this church. Have your way with each of us in this room this morning. I pray it in Christ's name, amen. I love you, New City. I love being your pastor.